Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning-fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join Helper community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder, you know, a founder that has done it a few times. We're going to be talking, you know, about building, scaling, financing, all the good stuff that we like to hear. And I think that you're all going to find his journey quite inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Gabe Dominocello. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So born and raised in Santa Barbara, Gabe, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Uh, life was normal. I had a, a totally normal suburban upbringing. You know, I had uh, two parents that worked. My dad was a science teacher. My mom um, helped work with the disabled through Special Olympics. I don't know, growing up riding bikes, throwing dirt clods in the ever in the creek. It was great. Very, very truly American. Very Americana. Now, in your case, you know, it sounds like you were a troublemaker in school. And always, you, 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 knew, you knew that you needed to do something for yourself. So, so what do you mean with that troublemaker? I mean, what kind of kid were you? Oh, I mean, I'm a troublemaker now. I'm probably way better behaved now than I was before. Um, I don't know. I, I always got in trouble. It, the, they used to joke. We, so me and my, uh, my best friend, we get, we're still best friends today. Uh, we were sent to the headmaster's office so many times. They called it uh, Gabe and Matt's room. So, like in the headmaster's office, like a there's like a sitting area, and we were sent there so many times. We were just like we made it our home. It was great. That's incredible. So then, so then in your case, um, you went to college, and uh, when you graduated, it sounds like you know you you knew that you would not fit very well on on corporate. So, uh, so how did you came to the conclusion that you had to start something on your own? You got, you, you had to do a business. Well, I, I never thought that anyone would hire me. <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't go to, okay. I went to Chico state, which is a amazing university. It is, is great people, They're great professors, great education, but well known for being a huge party school. So at that time, everything seemed to be so attached to like what university you went to and all that. And I knew that I kind of had to do it on my own. And um, now looking back, I, I definitely know that like what school you went to and if you have an MBA or whatever is in no way correlated to your financial success. I think that 
most of the like really high net worth individuals or very successful people, um, very few of them went to college. Like if you think of, you have a clear line where everyone is told to follow this line, you know, go, go to school, get in debt, you know, get good grades, go to MBA school, like then go, I don't know, be a banker or VC or something like anyone who breaks that tends to have outsized either success negatively or, um, or wind up like getting into trouble, like going to jail. So I didn't want to go to jail or get into trouble. So I decided that I would just, I don't know, eat glass and go into the abyss that is entrepreneurship. I know the feeling. Now, in your case, you know, like you started a company representing you. So how did you land into the idea of represent you and, and how were the early days like? Represent you is like such a great company. It's like, Oh God, I wish I could like restart it now. I like, I love that company. I love that business model. Um, so one of my friends, his dad was a like very well-known lawyer. Um, he still is a very, very well-known lawyer. He's an incredible lawyer. Uh, and in many ways, huge mentor to me. Uh, and he had this idea where you would essentially in California. So I don't know how long you want to go into it, but in California, you're allowed to share fees with lawyers if you get the right license. So the idea was to get this license, advertise on behalf of lawyers for like a large litigation, like class action type litigation, and then send the case to the lawyer and then receive a fee. Um, this is a great business. It did for eight years. It's like I learned so much about myself, about business, about people. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I mean, eight years is a lot. Eight years is a lot for uh, being at once at, at the same company. So I guess, yeah, I've been at this one for eight years too. And it's taken way more out of me. I mean, eventually, eventually, you know, like you decided to, to, to branch off, you know, after eight years and then you got into angel investing. So what was, what, what, what got you into, into angel investing? Well, I didn't know. I mean, I'm not a very good investor. I, I wouldn't say that I am. I, even today, like <laughs> I, I don't invest. It is, it is not my job. I'm a much, much better entrepreneur than I am an investor. Um, I'm an angel investing for like a really long time, but like it, I wouldn't say my, my outcomes like barely beat the S and P at least so far. Well, I don't like it. What I like is the people. So it's all gut. like an intelligence learning. It is like, it's all gut. Like I, I will make investments in people I know and love. Also kind of like if you are a known person, like for whatever, founding a cool space company, if you, you kind of can't have friends that are starting something and not support them a little bit. It's maybe a, and if you believe in them, then you should. So obviously at one point, you know, when you were angel investing and, and enjoying, you know, that other side of the table, you received a phone call from a friend that changed the course of everything. So what was, what was that phone call about? Well, so I'm Italian, if you can tell by my last name. So on my wedding day, He's in my wedding. We're friends. You know, we're friends for a long time. I've known him since before high school. I also is from Santa Barbara, David Langan. Um, 
So on my wedding, he's like, I got an idea for a satellite that can see through clouds. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, you know, if you ask an Italian something on its wedding day, he's got to, like, pay attention to you. and can't say no. So I, I quizzed him a little not actually really understanding anything. But the questions I asked were very good. It was like, how much does your satellite cost? And it's like a couple million bucks, like single-digit millions. Okay. What does NASA's satellite cost? And it's like, well, it's not really the same thing. Uh, NASA has a satellite. It's called NISAR. It does L-band. I want to do X-band. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, what can it, like, what's it cost? He's like, well, it was supposed to cost a billion dollars, but they overran their budget. It's $1.8 And your single-digit millions are like, okay. But what can that satellite do? Like, what can it see? And he's like, well, it's a different band, blah, blah, blah. I was like, a gigantic cargo container would be a single pixel. And I'm like, like, what What do you mean? It's like, it's like four to seven meters. It's like, well, what's a meter? It's like, it's think of it like a yard. I was like, okay, well, what can your satellite see? And he's like, you know, we probably could go down to like a soda can and after that one, we probably could go down to like a wristwatch as a single pixel. And I was like, so that's like significantly better for much less money. We should start a company. He always says that he told me that he wants to or whatever. Who knows? And then we, we, we started a company together. It was just such a cool idea. So what was that thing? It, it sounds like when he was pitching you and, and when he was sharing this idea with you, you, you kind of like got hooked. But. One thing is to think the idea is, is a really interesting idea. And the other one is to know that you want to dedicate your life to it. So at what point did you see it with clarity that it was the right next step for you? So it was an Excel sheet. So I think my biggest aha moments in my life have come to me looking at an Excel sheet. <laughs> I don't, and I'm not an engineer. So I think that that probably happens with engineers all the time. Um, it probably happens with people in finance, but so the biggest one to me was I created a unit economics calculator. So what this calculator does is it ascertains, like, so I essentially put everybody with a radar satellite and we know like what these satellites cost, like other people's satellites. It's like the, there's known parts, like it's, we know. So we know like the general cost to get to space, the unit cost. But what's really important is the performance. So it's you don't sell satellite pictures. You sell satellite pictures over high demand areas when people want them. So essentially what you need to do, or what we needed to do, was design a satellite that could take an abundance of pictures. So an abundance of supply in a constrained environment, which has given us an ability to push price elasticity. So when I saw that we could take like, not like a hundred, but like many, many hundreds of images per day over high demand areas. I was like, we're set. Like our closest competitor, um, which is like a gigantic aerospace conglomerate, um, like couldn't come close. I was like, so we're going to like, so I, I kind of fell in love with the possibility of making a lot of like those unit economics, making a lot of money. And did you also look at the market size and the compounding annual growth rate and stuff like that, or uh, no? Because the we knew the biggest market uh, was not known publicly, so the government is very careful about releasing information about these types of systems. 
Wow. But that, but we thought, but we thought about it way bigger. So at the time, the best image you could get was a meter from uh, Terrasar X, which is uh, Airbus's satellite. So like the utility, also Airbus's price list. Oh God, I'm gonna get an email from those guys. I like Airbus; they're, they're just fine. But their satellites are very expensive. Their data subsequently is extremely expensive. So, like, if you look at their price list, and I'm not saying they charge this, but on their price list, a one meter image can be as much as seven thousand five hundred dollars for what we charge now for a product that is a hundred percent better. So, fifty centimeters, which is considerably more difficult to collect. We charge $750. So for a 100% better product, we charge one-tenth as much. But at 50 centimeters, the things that you can understand and detect is like orders of magnitude higher than at one meter. So we knew that the market kind of didn't matter. And of course, our satellites can go down to 15 centimeters. So at 15 centimeters, it's like drone imagery. So... We didn't look at the market as it was today. We looked at the market as how we believe it would grow. And drones at the time, this is like 2017. In 2017, if you remember the venture environment, it was like drones, 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 drones. Drones are supposed to place $100 billion in human labor. And at that time, like Uber and Facebook and all these things were becoming really cemented. As, as like big winners. And those companies were spending billions of dollars on mapping, billions. And none of that was factored into the actual sale, like the market size of satellite data. We looked at a lot of things, but we had to have imagination for not what the market was then, but what it would be today, which is what we do now. Like our next system is like extremely good. And the market for it is zero. I remember talking to a VC so like, yeah, like we plan to do, so in like 2017, it's like, we plan to do quarter meter. Like, and it's like, the market for that is zero. And I said, I know, it does not exist. But like, the market for teleporting is zero. But once it exists, I'm going to use it. And um, they wound up uh, investing in another company that was doing lower resolution, which is very stupid. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So 
Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So, so I guess for, for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Umbra? How, how are you guys making money? So the way we make money is very simple. I joke that I am a underpaid wedding photographer. We, it is point and shoot. You can go onto our onboard platform. You can go, we work with a bunch of resellers. SkyFi is one, they're very well known. You can just go on. You say, I want this picture at this day at this time. If our satellites can do it, we take a picture and we send it to you. That's it. We don't analyze the picture. You know, we don't do any AI, ML, blah, 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 because the moment you start analyzing stuff, you, one, create channel conflicts with your customers, total nightmare. Two, you immediately double your overhead and start competing with Oracle, Google, um, like all like, like Microsoft, all these gigantic conglomerates all have AI ML for satellite data. So it's like there's two rules in this industry, in space industry. Space is like rule number one. Don't compete with Elon Musk. Rule number two, don't compete with the largest conglomerates in the entire world. So we, we decided to just do our one thing, do it really, really well, and um, make as much money as possible through volume. I like it. Now, you were talking about the VC uh, that ended up investing. You know, for something like this, you know, it sounds like uh, not cheap, man, what you guys are doing. So how much capital have you guys raised to date? And then also what has been the experience of going from one financing to the next? Oh, God. I would not wish starting a synthetic aperture radar company on my worst enemy. It is very difficult. We have raised considerably less money than anyone else. So in the space industry, so I, I'm going to give you a number. It's, it's going to sound high, but we've raised like over $100 million. But in the space industry... You can, like a box is a hundred million dollars is actually quite well um, for the industry, but we raised it was very difficult for us to raise money. People didn't understand it. I'd go out and I'd show them math equations or explain the unit economics, and, and it was the same stuff. It was like, oh, there's these other companies, and they're going to kill you, or like this and that. It's like this is like a gigantic unlimited market with unlimited demand and we have like a better product for less money. We knew that raising was difficult. So we treated every single financing like it was our last, the last one we would ever have. And so we're able to just build and, and build really, really rationally. Like the way we spend money even today is super rational. Like our headcount is directly tied to revenue. Growth, advertising, everything is all directly tied to how much money you make. It's like, you want a new car? Make more money. Like, you want you want to make your life better? Just make more money. Like, it is that simple. It's because it's like, I'm, I know I'm the dumbest person in the company, but sometimes being dumb winds up being really smart, especially when interest rates are 7%. Well, hey, I think that the way that you guys are building the company now, you know, it, it puts you at a at a really nice advantage because, you know, back then when you guys got started, if you were a good company, you needed to raise and get into the growth mode. And now those companies that were good, 
and they went into the growth mode that now they're not so good because now you know people are really appreciating uh folks that have been able to 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 build an operation that is capital efficient so i think that that's going to serve you guys uh, well for sure i guess when it came to 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 vcs you know when when you were talking about this you know as the saying goes when people get it you know maybe it means that you are too late right so I guess uh, the fact that people were not getting it, I think it was definitely a positive. But how were you able to perhaps, you know, convince, you know, those people that came in and invested over a hundred million bucks? I mean, what were some of those things that you learned around the fundraising process? They took time. So the the biggest thing that we got was like all the grade A firms. Okay, I'm here before I get too excited. So a lot of um, VCs tend to pattern match. This is like well known. That like there is a certain pattern that founders have that is successful. So if you have bazillions of dollars and you need to deploy it, you cannot really diligence something as complex as what we do um, because we have like all of the experts in the industry work at the company. It was really hard. We just we just didn't fit that mold. So there is a mold where it's like you come from, you went to this university. You came from this area, you had this relevant experience. We didn't have any of that. I was like a kid who went to a party school, like entrepreneur, like legal stuff. Like why? Like why what are you doing certain satellite company? So we didn't fit any of the molds, but the VCs who are willing to take the time to actually understand the technology were believers. Like we had somebody do a hundred thousand dollar seed check. And then in our last round, our final round, like probably last time we'll like raise money from VCs, did something like on the order of like $15 million. They're just believers. And they're able to explain to their LPs like why we're different, how we're different. And it just it really boils down to the unit economics. When our satellite flies over a high demand area, we make 10 to 15 times more money than anyone else. You either believe it or you don't. Most people didn't believe us. But those who did believe us, I mean, like our, our paper return, like our markup, the IRR is like incredible. Like I've never seen it ever that high. Like including big, well-known companies. In this case, you know, like for the for the people that are listening to, I mean, obviously there was a big vision, you know, here that that you shared, you know, with investors. You know, obviously, you know, the same vision that you're sharing with employees too, you know, and to get them into um. Excited about the compelling future that you're living into. I guess right now you guys have about 100 plus employees. Is that right? Yeah, I think 125, but I don't know. So imagine, you know, you were to go to sleep tonight, Gabe, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Umbra is fully realized. What does that world look like? <laughs> Everyone would have flying cars. Um, it would be really good. I mean, look, I can be hyper-rational, but the... The mission of Umbra is global ambitions. We're going to live in a better and safer world if we understand things. Like if we understood and had our satellites, we probably could have prevented wars. I mean, just today uh, or, or like whatever this week, our data, like we sell it. So we, res we have a lot of restrictions on ourselves. We're fairly unrestricted by the United States government. They trust us. They like us. They know us, right? So. Like, we don't sell data to China and Russia. We make a point to do that. We don't, we essentially don't sell data to any communists, only really close allies. So, w the people we're working with are trusted for our worldview, right? 
And so we can have somebody task the satellites and take a picture. Today is uh, uh, Armistice Day for the Korean War. Um, where we were taking parades, pictures of the parades in North Korea, and it was literally showing the people holding pom-poms um, and making you know, shapes in the, in the crowd. Imagine having this level of insight during the Iraq war. Like, we could have probably really avoided a lot of very terrible things. What I want is a better and safer world. But I think the best way to do that is through great unit economics. There was a company uh, that was saying that their, their goal was to count every tree on Earth and, like, do a satellite to do that. And frankly, there's not a ton of money in doing that. But because Umbra makes a lot of money, we're able to create a large open data archive. We're announcing today. So uh, we put a million dollars in free data in our, in our open data. It is, if you look at that at other people's prices, it's 10 times that amount, right? We're doubling the size of the open data. And I expect to, at least at the other people's prices, like have $100 million in free data. This is something that no one else can do. One, because we have the best unit economics, but two, because we have this abundance of supply, we can then put data onto the internet, let some college student who went to Chico State and put down his beer, look at our data and say, well, the car is in the parking lot. Like, I wonder if earnings are going to go up or down. And that data is free. And Creative Commons, they can use it, they can make money on it. They don't have to give us a penny. Um, if I can go and create 10 more millionaires or a hundred, like thousands of millionaires on our data, then we've really actually accomplished what our goal is. That's amazing. So we're talking about the future here, but I want to talk about the past. And you were talking about, you know, being there at university and putting the, the beer down. So let's say, you know, I give you the opportunity of getting into a time machine and you're able to go back in time, you know, maybe back to the days in university when you were doing the kickstands and, you know, beer pong and enjoying, you know, those parties there. Imagine, you know, you have the opportunity of whispering to yourself. You know, let's say that that younger Gabe, you know, would listen because our younger selves typically, they don't listen that, that often. But let's say, you know, you were to listen and you were able to give that younger Gabe one piece of advice before launching a business, knowing what you know now. What would that be and why? I think that what I would say, and, you know, I've said this before, is make mistakes, but make them short. It is very, very good to make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. Like, constantly. constantly. Like, I was yelled at by it because of a tweet I put out today. And I was like, well, my bad. <laughs> and it's, it's okay because you learn. You know, it's, it's okay to learn. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, but, and you know this from like relationships and people and all the, all these things. If you, you can learn the lesson fairly quickly and trying to fix something or someone is, uh, if it is impossible, you should probably just move on. I love that. I love that. So, so for the people that are listening, Gabe, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, so you can get me on Twitter. It's at Domino Cello, my last name. It is really just memes on unit economics and uh, mapping. Uh, you all feel free. You can my my email and phone number are both on the internet. Uh, if you can go and find it, then I'll probably respond to your email. 
Amazing. Well, hey, Gabe, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.